Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're going to switch gears back into the world of literature. And in this case, we're actually going to do a uh, book that was turned into a movie. Uh, the book and the movie are both uh, worth reading and worth watching. Uh, the book and uh, the film that I'm going to be talking about is uh, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, 1940, directed by John Ford. Um, the book came out only slightly before the movie in this case. Um, they were both in, the, the book comes out in the 30s, the movie comes out right at 1940. Um, and so there's a lot of connection between the two and there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. Uh, the book would be much too big to condense into a film if you put everything in there, so obviously they had to cut a lot out. Now, normally when it comes to books and movies, there's a huge drop-off uh, one way or the other. Some, there, there have been a few cases where the movies were much better than the books, uh, but generally the books are much better than the movies, and there's a huge drop-off. In this case, they tend to be both um, very worthwhile. Uh, in fact, if you see the film, it'll probably end up being one of your favorite films, even though it does tend to be a little bit on the... Uh, bleak side through most of it. <clears throat> the film is set during the Dust Bowl, um, and it is like The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, based on a fictional family, but based on things that really occurred. So while the Jodes weren't actual people, um, what they went through was very much the experience of a lot of people in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl. Uh, the beginning of the movie and of the book, you have Tom Joad getting out of prison for murder and heading home. And as he's heading home, he finds out that his family's been run off the land. Um, and basically everybody's getting pushed off their land uh, because of the dust bowl and the crop failures and people can't afford to pay the rent. And so the owners of the land have basically decided instead of letting the tenant farmers farm the land, they're just going to push everybody off, hire people at a small hourly wage, and just use uh, tractors and farm without the farmers. So the conditions were very much real. And you have to remember that the Dust Bowl is in the 30s, which is right in the middle of the Great Depression. And so being a farmer and getting wiped out, it's not like in other times where you might be able to move to a big city, uh, get a job in a factory, things like that, because the economy was pretty much bad everywhere. Now, the Jode family and a lot of the other families in Oklahoma get lured out to California. Uh, there's flyers that are put out all over the place, you know, telling them, telling everybody there's plenty of work and high wages and um, in order to get the people to come out there and uh, pick crops. Well, basically, as they get there, they start to find out that this was all a scam by the owners of the big farms. Um, what they were basically doing is trying to drive down the price of labor. So they would put out thousands and thousands of flyers for jobs, and they would only have hundreds of jobs available. And after these people had traveled across the country with everything they owned that they could salvage, um, these people were desperate for work and willing to work for nearly nothing. And so this is what was starting to occur. Uh, this is similar to what 
you know, we talked about when we talked about the jungle, how different groups of immigrants from Europe were used to displace the ones that had been there and keep driving the wages lower and lower. Uh, basically, what you end up with, what they end up finding, is that uh, there's large amounts of workers uh, and they're fighting for what few jobs they can get. Uh, one of the farms that they work on is actually uh, guarded by guards and fences and they're put into little bitty shanties uh, where they're going to stay while they're picking the fruit. Um, the only place to get any food is in the company-owned store and the company-owned store basically jacks up the prices uh, to obscene amounts uh, and basically makes sure that they're going to make enough money to pretty much give it all back to the people who are paying them. Because the people who are paying them are the people who own the store. Uh, this is similar to what was done in the company towns in the north. <clears throat> uh, the company towns, when they would hire their workers, they would rent their houses, uh, they would give them credit at the company store, and they would always make sure that the wages were never high enough for them to get everything they needed in the company towns. So they would end up going into debt, and the company stores would always give the people credit. Sure, you can take this. We'll just put it on your put it on your tab, and you know you will give you credit for it. Uh, during that time, you could actually be thrown into prison for debt, <clears throat> and so this debt was a way of keeping the workers from ever being able to leave. If the workers decided they wanted to quit, the bosses would say, fine, pay the store back what you owe them and you can leave. And since they were always farther and farther in debt every month, they were never able to do this. Um, so they were stuck working and this debt could get passed down to the next generation. So basically generation after generation uh, would be stuck working for this company. Um, this is basically uh, slavery under a different name. Um, there wasn't the buying and selling of people, but you also didn't have the ability to leave. You had to work and do what you were told or they would throw you in prison. So basically in the company towns, your options were work uh, for nothing and barely survive and you get to stay with your family or get thrown in prison and prison would work you the same way for nothing um, and you'd be separated from your family. So the system they were using in the farms was, was very similar to what they were doing with the company towns. Although they didn't want to make the prices high enough that the workers were in debt because they didn't want them hanging around. Uh, these were seasonal jobs. As a, as a crop uh, became ready to be harvested, they wanted the workers. They brought in as many as they can to get all the crops harvested and then they wanted the, the workers to leave, and they would drive them off. So they didn't want them in debt, but they didn't also want to pay them hardly anything either. So they made sure that they kind of balanced out. So they got most of the money back they paid, which means they basically got the work for free. <clears throat> um, this practice uh, really continued for quite a while until... Uh, they started to pass some laws uh, for minimum wage. This occurred with factories, this occurred with farm work, this occurred in many different industries. 
this was what was done to workers. They would bring in more workers than they needed so they could drive the wages down to nothing. Well, as minimum wage laws started to come into place uh, and unions started to come into place and worker protection started to come into place, this is where there started to be a large need for illegal immigrants. And this is why illegal immigrants have always been able to get into the country They've, and why they have come here. They've come here because the farms and the uh, food processing plants want them here. They want people they don't have to pay minimum wage. They want people they don't have to worry about paying retirement. They want people they don't have to worry about workman's comp if the person gets hurt on the job. Uh, if the <clears throat> illegal immigrants start asking for more wages, uh, basically they just, uh, the company owners alert immigration authorities and the workers are deported. And then they bring in another batch uh, until they start to demand more money or get hurt. Then they end up getting deported. So this system with the illegal immigrants uh, is really one of the, is the same system they're using with the people from Oklahoma. They called them Okies uh, that had fled from the Dust Bowl. Um, they're basically grinding them down to nothing. Uh, they're living out of their trucks. They're living out of tents. Um, <clears throat> and it really is pretty bleak. Now in the movie, there's, there's a little bit of hope towards the end because they come into uh, what's, they, they find one of these camps that's a government run camp run by the Department of Agriculture. And if you remember during the, pro, uh, during the Depression times, um, FDR started to come up with these programs through the New Deal to help people who were homeless and uh, starving and out of work and, you know, hired people and put them to work and started putting together some of these programs, <clears throat> some of these social safety nets. Uh, this is one of the reasons that the movie was actually able to be made when it was made. I have a hard time thinking this movie could be made exactly the same way today. Uh, today it would be seen as a rampant uh, socialist film. Um, and, you know, uh, John Steinbeck, the person who wrote the novel, was a socialist. Uh, he did have socialist connections. <clears throat> but the reason that this was able to kind of be put out and was even applauded uh, was this kind of played into the narrative that FDR had about the government helping Americans get back on their feet. Uh, FDR actually attended the premiere of it uh, and enjoyed it. Um, so this was kind of, uh, in a way, both showing the conditions of the poor people, conditions of the migrant workers, and also kind of a little bit of a um, public relations shot in the arm for the government programs that were going on. Now, as I said, if you were to do something like this today uh, and redo that movie or that book into a movie, it would probably have very different focus and it would probably uh, not be such a uh, movie that kind of showed the horrible conditions as much and blamed it on the wealthy and, you know, kind of offered the solution as the government coming in and, and helping out. Uh, this is This is a movie that would be uh, wildly, wildly reviled right now if it were to come out. <clears throat> so there are things in there that uh, in some ways this movie uh, got lucky about when it was uh, brought out. 
Um, if this would have come out even after World War II, it probably wouldn't have been uh, met with as much enthusiasm. After World War II, we're into the Cold War with the Soviet Union, so basically anything socialist or communist starts to be demonized. Uh, you start to have the Red Scare, and you have the <clears throat> the actors and actresses and writers and directors and producers in Hollywood uh, getting blacklisted because they were uh, part of organizations that had sympathy for socialist or communist uh, institutions. So it's kind of an odd point in history where you actually get to have this movie made. Now, in watching the film, there were some always some things that the students brought up about the uh, you know, the way things were portrayed. Uh, one of them is the young sis younger sister, uh, Rosa Sharon, who is supposed to be big and pregnant. Well, in the film, she doesn't look like she's pregnant at all. And in fact, this was because it wasn't legal to show a pregnant woman on a film. That, that was against the law. It violated the standards. So the, the students would watch the film and go, why is she acting so weak and pathetic? She's maybe two weeks pregnant. No, she's, she's supposed to be about seven, eight months pregnant, um, you know, and having a hard time getting around, uh, but they couldn't show that in the film. Uh, the other thing that kind of strikes people is that the actors and actresses uh, don't look like they jumped out of a uh, gym slash uh, beauty salon. Uh, and this is another difference of uh, the film industry at that time as opposed to the present. Uh, at the present, uh, you know, stars have to be beautiful. Uh, the only stars you're going to see that are not beautiful are going to be in comedies. You know, and this is one of the things that I've discussed many times with my classes, the fact that, you know, in Hollywood as it is now, uh, you have plain-looking people being uh, suitable for comedy only. Any kind of dramatic role, uh, you have to have these perfect-looking people. Uh, and that was not the case in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Yes, you did have the beautiful actors and actresses, um, but the emphasis was more on their ability to act um, than on what they look like. <clears throat> and so when you get the Grapes of Wrath, you have very much a, a set of actors and actresses that look like people you would meet in real life. Um, they're not... Uh, you know, Brad Pitt, uh, who's dirtied up a little bit, so he's supposed to be poor. Uh, the, these people actually look like common people. They don't look like they live in the gym. Um, so there, there's very different uh, approach towards um, acting and towards uh, what the public wants to see. Um, now a lot of movies, unfortunately, as long as the special effects and the uh, actors and actresses look good enough, uh, people will go see the movie, regardless if there's no plot and uh, no real purpose to the film. Uh, the, there's a lot of films that lean on special effects uh, as opposed to getting into issues. Uh, and this is another thing that I've kind of mentioned in earlier podcasts, how uh, a lot of our mainstream media, our, our popular entertainment, and this was very popular entertainment at the time. This movie was very popular. Uh, won quite a few awards, Academy Awards. <clears throat> but our mainstream moved away from talking about the problems of regular people 
and moved into talking more about the problems of the upper classes. So you move into more stories that are focused on the love troubles and love lives of uh, the upper middle class and the upper class, as opposed to you know people who are basically broken by the system and thrown out into the streets, which is what happened to these people. So the uh, emphasis in a lot of areas is very different. And for any of you who haven't watched a lot of older movies, this is definitely one that I highly recommend seeing. Um, this does a really good job of kind of giving you uh, sort of the grittiness and desperation of these people. Um, but it also gives little bits of hope, uh, gives solutions to maybe how we can overcome these things. And I think a lot of uh, entertainment today kind of gets away from that. The solution of how do you, how do you solve everything from a film today uh, generally involves violence of some sort. Uh, all of our problems are solved with violence, and that's the only way to approach things. Well, this is definitely a very different approach to that. Um, okay, I'm going to break off uh, for there, and I will hope all of you are doing well, and I will talk to all of you again soon. Have a good night.